Chapter Eleven of Alice of Old Vincennes by Maurice Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Eleven, a sword and a pistol. We hear much about the days that tried men's souls, but what about the souls of women in those same days? Sitting in the liberal geniality of the nineteenth-century sunset glow, we insist upon having our grumble at the times and the manners of our generation but if we had to exchange places periods and experiences with the people who lived in america through the last quarter of the eighteenth century there would be good ground for despairing elulations and if our men could not bear it if it would try their souls too poignantly let us imagine the effect upon our women no let us not imagine it but rather let us give full credit to the heroic souls of the mothers and the maidens who did actually bear up in the centre of that terrible struggle and unflinchingly help win for us not only freedom but the vast empire which at this moment is at once the master of the world and the model toward which all the nations of the earth are slowly but surely tending if alice was an extraordinary girl she was not aware of it nor had she ever understood that her life was being shaped by extraordinary conditions of course it could not but be plain to her that she knew more and felt more than the girls of her narrow acquaintance that her accomplishments were greater that she nursed splendid dreams of which they could have no proper comprehension but until now she had never even dimly realized that she was probably capable of being something more than a mere creole lass the foster daughter of gaspard roussillon trader in pelts and furs even her most romantic visions had never taken the form of personal desire or ambition in its most nebulous stage they had simply pleased her fresh and natural fancy and served to gild the hardness and crudeness of her life that was all her experiences had been almost too terrible for belief viewed at our distance from them she had passed through scenes of incredible horror and suffering but her nature had not been chilled stunted or hardened in body and in temper her development had been sound and beautiful it was even thus that our great-grandmothers triumphed over adversity hardship indescribable danger we cannot say that the strong lithe happy-hearted alice of old vincennes was the only one of her kind few of us who have inherited the faded portraits of our revolutionary forebears can doubt that beauty wit and great lovableness flourished in the cabins of pioneers all the way from the edisto to the licking from the connecticut to the wabash beverley's advent could not fail to mean a great deal in the life of a girl like alice a new era as it were would naturally begin for her the moment that his personal influence touched her imagination but it is well not to measure her too strictly by the standard of our present taste and the specialized forms of our social and moral code she was a true child of the wilderness a girl who grew as the wild prairie rose grew not on account of innumerable exigencies accidents and hardships but in spite of them she had blushed unseen and had wasted divine sweets upon a more than desert air but when beverley came near her at first carelessly droning his masculine monotonies as the wandering bee to the lonely and lovely rose and presently striking her soul as with the wings of love there fell a change into her heart of hearts and lo her haunting and elusive dreams began to condense and take on forms that startled her with their wonderful splendour and beauty these she saw all the time sleeping or waking they made bright summer of the frozen stream and snapping gale the snowdrifts and the sleet in her brave young heart swelled the ineffable song the music never yet caught by syrinx or flute or violin the words no tongue can speak 
ah here may be the secret of that vigorous brave sweet life of our pioneer maids wives and mothers it was love that gave those tender hearts the iron strength and heroic persistence at which the world must forever wonder and do we appreciate those women let the old world boast its crowned kings its mailed knights its ladies of the court and castle but we of the new world we of the powerful west let us brim our cups with the wine of undying devotion and drink to the memory of the women of the revolution to the humble but good and marvellously brave and faithful women like those of old vincennes but if alice was being radically influenced by beverly he in turn found a new light suffusing his nature and he was not unaware that it came out of her eyes her face her smiles her voice her soul it was the old well-known inexplicable mutual magnetism which from the first has been the same on the highest mountain-top and in the lowest valley the queen and the milkmaid the king and the hind may come together only to find the king walking off with the lowly beauty and her fragrant pail while away stalks the lusty rustic to be lord and master of the queen love is love and it thrives in all climes under all conditions there is an inevitable and curious protest that comes up unbidden between lovers it takes many forms in accordance with particular circumstances it is the demand for equality and perfection love itself is without degrees it is perfect but when shall it see the perfect object it does see it and it does not see it in every beloved being beverly found his mind turning as on a pivot round and round upon the thought that alice might be impossible to him the mystery of her life seemed to force her below the line of his aristocratic vision so that he could not fairly consider her and yet with all his heart he loved her alice on the other hand had her bookish ideal to reckon with despite the fact that she daily dashed it contemptuously down she was different from adrienne boursier who bewailed the absence of her untamable lover she wished that beverly had not as she somehow viewed it weakly surrendered to hamilton his apparently complacent acceptance of idle captivity did not comport with her dream of knighthood and heroism she had been all the time half expecting him to do something that would stamp him a hero counter-protests of this sort are never sufficiently vigorous to take a fall out of love they merely serve to worry his temper by lightly hindering his feet and it is surprising how love does delight himself with being entangled both beverly and alice day by day felt the cord tightening which drew their hearts together each acknowledged it secretly but strove not to evince it openly meantime both were as happy and as restlessly dissatisfied as love and uncertainty could make them amid the activities in which hamilton was engaged his dealings with the indians and the work of reconstructing the fort he found time to worry his temper about the purloined flag like every other man in the world he was superstitious and it had come into his head that to ensure himself and his plans against disaster he must have the banner of his captives as a badge of his victory it was a small matter but it magnified itself as he dwelt upon it he suspected that alice had deceived him he sharply questioned father beret only to be half convinced that the good priest told the truth when he said that he knew nothing whatever on the subject beyond the fact that the banner had mysteriously disappeared from under his floor captain farnsworth scarcely sympathized with his chief about the flag but he was nothing if not anxious to gain hamilton's highest confidence his military zeal knew no bounds and he never let pass even the slightest opportunity to show it 
hence his persistent search for a clue to the missing banner he was no respecter of persons he frankly suspected both alice and father beret of lying he would himself have lied under the existing circumstances and he considered himself as truthful and trustworthy as priest or maiden i'll get that flag for you he said to hamilton if i have to put every man woman and child in this town on the rack it lies i think between miss osillon and the priest although both insistently deny it i've thought it over in every way and i can't see how they can both be ignorant of where it is or at least who got it hamilton since being treated to that wonderful blow on the jaw was apt to fall into a spasm of anger whenever the name roussillon was spoken in his hearing involuntarily he would put his hand to his cheek and grimace reminiscently if it's that girl make her tell he savagely commanded let's have no trifling about it if it's the priest then make him tell or tie him up by the thumbs get that flag or show some good reason for your failure i'm not going to be baffled the captain's adventure with father beret came just in time to make it count against that courageous and bellicose missionary in more ways than one farnsworth did not tell hamilton or any other person about what the priest had done to him but nursed his sore ribs and his wrath waiting patiently for the revenge that he meant soon to take alice heard from adrienne the story of farnsworth's conduct and his humiliating discomfiture at the hands of father beret she was both indignant and delighted sympathizing with adrienne and glorying in the priest's vigorous pugilistic achievement well she remarked with one of her infectious trills of laughter so far the french have the best of it anyway papa roussillon knocked the governor's cheek nearly off then rené cracked the irish corporal's head and now father beret has taught captain farnsworth a lesson in fisticuffs that he'll not soon forget if the good work can only go on a little longer we shall see every english soldier in vaisennes wearing the mark of a frenchman's blow then her mood suddenly changed from smiling lightness to almost fierce gravity and she added adrienne boursier if captain farnsworth ever offers to treat me as he did you mark my words i'll kill him kill him indeed i will you ought to see me but he won't dare touch you said adrienne looking at her friend with round admiring eyes he knows very well that you are not little and timid like me he'd be afraid of you i wish he would try it how i would love to shoot him into pieces the hateful wretch i wish he would the french inhabitants all or nearly all felt as alice did but at present they were helpless and dared not say or do anything against the english nor was this feeling confined to the creoles of vincennes it had spread to most of the points where trading posts existed hamilton found this out too late to mend some of his mistakes but he set himself on the alert and organized scouting bodies of indians under white officers to keep him informed as to the american movements in kentucky and along the ohio one of these bands brought in as captive colonel francis vigo of st louis a spaniard by birth an american by adoption a patriot to the core who had large influence over both indians and creoles in the illinois country colonel vigo was not long held a prisoner hamilton dared not exasperate the creoles beyond their endurance for he knew that the savages would closely sympathize with their friends of long standing and this might lead to revolt and coalition against him a very dangerous possibility indeed at least one of the great indian chieftains had already frankly informed him that he and his tribe were loyal to the americans here was a dilemma requiring consummate diplomacy 
hamilton saw it but he was not of a diplomatic temper or character with the indians he used a demoralizing system of bribery while toward the whites he was too often gruff imperious repellent helm understood the whole situation and was quick to take advantage of it his personal relations with hamilton were easy and familiar so that he did not hesitate to give advice upon all occasions here his jovial disposition helped him you'd better let vigo return to st louis he said they had a bowl of something hot steaming between them i know him he's harmless if you don't rub him too hard the wrong way he'll go back if you treat him well and tell clark how strong you are here and how foolish it would be to think of attacking you clark has but a handful of men poorly supplied and tired with long hard marches if you'll think a moment you cannot fail to understand that you'd better be friends with this man vigo he and father gibault and this old priest here beret carry these frenchmen in their pockets i'm not on your side understand i am an american and i'd blow the whole of you to kingdom come in a minute if i could but common sense is common sense all the same there's no good to you and no harm to clark in mistreating or even holding this prisoner what harm can he do you by going back to clark and telling him the whole truth clark knew everything long before vigo reached here old jason my best scout left here the day you took possession and you may bet he got to kaskaskia in short order he never fails but he'll tell clark to stay where he is and vigo can do no more what effect helm's bold and apparently artless talk had upon hamilton's mind is not recorded but the meagre historical facts at command show that vigo was released and permitted to return under promise that he would give no information to the enemy on his way to kaskaskia doubtless this bit of careless diplomacy on the governor's part did have a somewhat soothing effect upon a large class of frenchmen at vincennes but farnsworth quickly neutralized it to a serious extent by a foolish act while slightly under the influence of liquor he met father beret near roussillon place and feeling his ribs squirm at the sight of the priest he accosted him insolently demanding information as to the whereabouts of the missing flag a priest may be good and true father beret certainly was and yet have the strongest characteristics of a worldly man this thing of being bullied day after day as had recently been the rule generated nothing to aid in removing a refractory desire from the priest's heart the worldly desire to repeat with great increment of force the punch against farnsworth's lower ribs i order you sir to produce that rebel flag said farnsworth you will obey forthwith or take the consequences i am no longer in the humour to be trifled with do you understand i might be forced to obey you if i could said the priest drawing his robe about him but as i have often told you my son i do not know where the flag is or who took it i do not even suspect any person of taking it all that i know about it is the simple fact that it is gone father beret's manner and voice were very mild but there must have been a hint of sturdy defiance somewhere in them at all events farnsworth was exasperated and fell into a white rage perhaps it was the liquor he had been drinking that made him suddenly desperate you canting old fool he cried don't lie to me any longer i won't have it don't stand there grinning at me get that flag or i'll make you what is impossible my son is possible to god alone apu domines hoc impossibile est 
apud deum otem omnia possibilia sunt none of your jesuit latin or logic to me i am not here to argue but to command get that flag be in a hurry about it sir he whipped out his sword and in his half-drunken eyes there gathered the dull film of murderous passion put up your weapon captain you will not attack an unarmed priest you are a soldier and will not dare strike an old defenceless man but i will strike a black-robed and black-hearted french rebel get that flag you grinning fool the two men stood facing each other father beret's eyes did not stir from their direct fearless gaze what farnsworth had called a grin was a peculiar smile not of merriment a greyish flicker and a slight backward wrinkling of the cheeks the old man's arms were loosely crossed upon his sturdy breast strike if you must he said very gently very firmly i never yet have seen the man that could make me afraid his speech was slightly sing-song in tone as it would have been during a prayer or a blessing get the flag then raged farnsworth in whose veins the heat of liquor was aided by an unreasoning collar i cannot said father beret then take the consequences farnsworth lifted his sword not to thrust but to strike with its flat side and down it flashed with a noisy whack father beret flung out an arm and deftly turned the blow aside it was done so easily that farnsworth sprang back glaring and surprised you old fool he cried levelling his weapon for a direct lunge you devilish hypocrite it was then that father beret turned deadly pale and swiftly crossed himself his face looked as if he saw something startling just beyond his adversary possibly this sudden change of expression caused farnsworth to hesitate for a mere point of time then there was the swish of a woman's skirts a light step pattered on the frozen ground and alice sprang between the men facing farnsworth as she did this something small and yellow the locket at her throat fell and rolled under her feet nobody saw it in her hand she held an immense horse pistol which she levelled in the captain's face its flaring bugle-shaped muzzle gaping not a yard from his nose the heavy tube was as steady as if in a vice drop that sword that was all she said but her finger was pressing the trigger and the flint in the backward slanting hammer was ready to click against the steel the leaden slugs were on the point of leaping forth drop that sword the repetition seemed to close the opportunity for delay farnsworth was on his guard in a twinkling he set his jaw and uttered an ugly oath then quick as lightning he struck sidewise at the pistol with his blade it was a move which might have taken a less alert person than alice unawares but her training in sword-play was ready in her wrist and hand an involuntary turn the slightest imaginable set the heavy barrel of her weapon strongly against the blow partly stopping it and then the gaping muzzle spat its load of balls and slugs with a bellow that awoke the drowsy old village farnsworth staggered backward letting fall his sword there was a rent in the clothing of his left shoulder he reeled the blood spun out but he did not fall although he grew white alice stood gazing at him with a look on her face he would never forget it was a look that changed by wonderful swift gradations from terrible hate to something like sweet pity the instant she saw him hurt and bleeding his countenance relaxing and pale her heart failed her 
she took a step toward him her hand opened and with a thud the heavy old pistol fell upon the ground beside her father beret sprang nimbly to sustain farnsworth snatching up the pistol as he passed around alice you are hurt my son he gently said let me help you he passed his arm firmly under that of farnsworth seeing that the captain was unsteady on his feet lean upon me come with me alice my child and i will take him into the house alice picked up the captain's sword and led the way it was all done so quickly that farnsworth in his half-dazed condition scarcely realized what was going on until he found himself on a couch in the roussillon home his wound a jagged furrow ploughed out by slugs that the sword's blade had first intercepted neatly dressed and bandaged while alice and the priest hovered over him busy with their careful ministrations hamilton and helm were as usual playing cards at the former's quarters when a guard announced that mademoiselle roussillon wished an audience with the governor bring the girl in said hamilton throwing down his cards and scowling darkly now you'd better be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove remarked helm there is something up and that gunshot we heard a while ago may have a good deal to do with it at any rate you'll find kindness your best card to play with alice roussillon just at the present stage of the game of course they knew nothing of what had happened to farnsworth but they had been discussing the strained relations between the garrison and the french inhabitants when the roar of alice's big mouth pistol startled them helm was slyly beating about to try to make hamilton lose sight of the danger from clark's direction to do this he artfully magnified the insidious work that might be done by the french and their indian friends should they be driven to desperation by oppressive or exasperating action on the part of the english hamilton felt the dangerous uncertainty upon which the situation rested but like many another vigorously self-reliant man he could not subordinate his passions to the dictates of policy when alice was conducted into his presence he instantly swelled with anger it was her father who had struck him and escaped it was she who had carried off the rebel flag at the moment of victory well miss to what do i owe the honour of this visit he demanded with a supercilious air bending a card between his thumb and finger on the rude table she stood before him tall and straight well bundled in furs she was not pale her blood was too rich and brilliant for that but despite a half-smile and the inextinguishable dimples there was a touch of something appealingly pathetic in the lines of her mouth she did not waver or hesitate however but spoke promptly and distinctly i have come monsieur to tell you that i have hurt captain farnsworth he was about to kill father beret and i shot him he is in our house and well cared for i don't think his wound is bad and here she hesitated at last and let her gaze fall so here i am then she lifted her eyes again and made an inimitable french gesture with her shoulders and arms you will do as you please monsieur i am at your mercy hamilton was astounded helm sat staring phlegmatically meantime beverly entered the room and stopped hat in hand behind alice he was flushed and evidently excited in fact he had heard of the trouble with farnsworth and seeing alice enter the door of hamilton's quarters he followed her in his heart stirred by no slight emotion he met the governor's glare and parried it with one of equal haughtiness the veins on his forehead swelled and turned dark he was in a mood to do whatever desperate act should suggest itself 
when hamilton fairly comprehended the message so graphically presented by alice he rose from his seat by the fire what's this you tell me he blurted you say you've shot captain farnsworth oui monsieur he stared a moment then his features beamed with hate and i'll have you shot for it miss as sure as you stand there in your silly impudence ogling me so brazenly he leaned toward her as he spoke and sent with the words a shock of coarse passionate energy from which she recoiled as if expecting a blow to follow it an irresistible impulse swept beverly to alice's side and his attitude was that of a protector helm sprang up a lieutenant came in and respectfully but with evident overhaste reported that captain farnsworth had been shot and was at roussillon place in care of the surgeon take this girl into custody confine her and put a strong guard over her in giving the order hamilton jerked his thumb contemptuously toward alice and at the same time gave beverly a look of supreme defiance and hatred when helm began to speak he turned fiercely upon him and stopped him with none of your advice sir i have had all i want of it keep your place or i'll make you then to beverly retire sir when i wish to see you i'll send for you at present you are not needed here the english lieutenant saluted his commander bowed respectfully to alice and said come with me miss please helm and beverly exchanged a look of helpless and inquiring rage it was as if they had said what can we do must we bear it certainly they could do nothing any interference on their part would be sure to increase alice's danger and at the same time add to the weight of their own humiliation alice silently followed the officer out of the room she did not even glance toward beverly who moved as if to interfere and was promptly motioned back by the guard his better judgment returning held him from a rash and futile act until hamilton spoke again saying loudly as alice passed through the door i'll see who's master of this town if i have to shoot every french hoyden in it women and children may well fear you colonel hamilton said beverly that young lady is your superior you say that to me sir it is the best i could possibly say of you i will send you along with the wench if you do not guard your language a prisoner on parole has no license to be a blackguard i return you my parole sir i shall no longer regard it as binding said beverly by a great effort holding back a blow i will not keep faith with a scoundrel who does not know how to be decent in the presence of a young girl you had better have me arrested and confined i will escape at the first opportunity and bring a force here to reckon with you for your villainy and if you dare hurt alice roussillon i will have you hanged like a dog hamilton looked at him scornfully smiling as one who feels safe in his authority and means to have his own way with his victim naturally he regarded beverly's words as the merest vaporings of a helpless and exasperated young man he saw very clearly that love was having a hand in the affair and he chuckled inwardly thinking what a fool beverly was i thought i ordered you to leave this room he said with an air and tone of lofty superiority and i certainly mean to be obeyed go sir and if you attempt to escape or in any way break your parole i'll have you shot i have already broken it from this moment i shall not regard it you have heard my statement i shall not repeat it govern yourself accordingly with these words beverly turned and strode out of the house quite beside himself his whole frame quivering hamilton laughed derisively then looked at helm and said helm i like you 
i don't wish to be unkind to you but positively you must quit breaking in upon my affairs with your ready-made advice i've given you and lieutenant beverley too much latitude perhaps if that young fool don't look sharp he'll get himself into a beastly lot of trouble you'd better give him a talk he's in a way to need it just now i think so myself said helm glad to get back upon fair footing with the irascible governor i'll wait until he cools off somewhat and then i can manage him leave him to me well come walk with me to see what has really happened to farnsworth he's probably not much hurt and deserves what he's got that girl has turned his head i think i understand the whole affair a little love a little wine some foolishness and the wench shot him helm genially assented but they were delayed for some time by an officer who came in to consult with hamilton on some pressing indian affairs when they reached roussillon place they met beverley coming out but he did not look at them he was scarcely aware of them a little way outside the gate on going in he had picked up alice's locket and broken chain which he mechanically put into his pocket it was all like a dream to him and yet he had a clear purpose he was going away from vincennes or at least he would try and woe be to hamilton on his coming back it was so easy for an excited young mind to plan great things and to expect success under apparently impossible conditions beverley gave jean a note for alice it was this that took him to roussillon place and no sooner fell the night than he shouldered a gun furnished by madame Godard, and guided by the woodsman's fine craft stole away southward thinking to swim the icy wabash some miles below and then strike across the plains of illinois to kaskaskia it was a desperate undertaking but in those days desperate undertakings were rather the rule than the exception moreover love was the leader and beverley the blind follower nothing could daunt him or turn him back until he found an army to lead against hamilton it seems but a romantic burst of indignation as we look back at it hopelessly foolish with no possible end but death in the wilderness still there was a method in love's madness and beverley with his superb physique his knowledge of the wilderness and his indomitable self-reliance was by no means without his fighting chance for success End of chapter eleven